as a psychiatrist, anytime we talk about change and wanting to make change, we need to recognize that there needs to be an acceptance, right? You have to accept where you are and then accept that now that I'm accepting who I am, I also accept that I may need to make change. Mm. So I always say, wherever you are, that's you and that's great. And if you're happy and you're healthy, that's great. And if you want to make changes, that's also great, right? You can be, you can accept who you are and still recognize that you have things to work on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of Be More Well. My guest today is Dr. Omatade from Art of Balance Wellness Spa. We're going to chat a bit about fad diets and why they don't work. But first, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast hosted by me, Jeff St. Pierre. Now, what do I know about wellness? Almost nothing. But that's why I started this podcast. I wanted to talk to people from all across the wellness spectrum to learn more about it. So we're talking about doctors, athletes, musicians, moms, dads, everyone who has a story to tell about how they've found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information that will help you be happier, healthier, less stressed, more mindful. I, I just want you all to be more well. We're here at the end of January now. A lot of you may have set New Year's resolutions for yourselves. How are those going so far? You know, they say most people have broken or given up on their resolutions by about two weeks into the new year. So if you're still going strong, that's great. You're beating the average. Congratulations to you. Uh, if I asked you what the most common resolution was, you'd probably all say to lose weight and you would be right. It is by far the most common thing that people hope for at the start of a new year. Millions of people across the country vow each year to put down those cookies and drop the pounds. Now, some stick to it and they see some really great results, but some fall off the wagon. And that's also fine. This is a no judgment zone here. But so many people jump on board with the latest fad diet thinking that it's going to save their life. So what's a fad diet? Well, that's one of those hot diets that you hear about on the news or see on bookshelves. Things like Atkins diet, South Beach diet, keto, Mediterranean diet, even Weight Watchers or Whole30 can kind of fall under this category. Although I think those two are a little bit different. Now, fad diets can be great to help you find some instant results and to make you feel like you're part of a community. You can post all about it on social media, hashtag whatever diet here. Uh, but each one of them is flawed in one very specific way. They're not built for long-term success. In fact, most of them are designed to keep you coming back for more. I mean, the people at Atkins aren't going to keep making money if you lost all the weight that you wanted to and kept it off, right? They need you coming back so they can sell you more products and get you to buy more information. Now, you've probably seen it time and time again. Susan in your HR department at work starts the new year looking to lose some weight, so she starts doing keto. A month later, when you check in with her, she says she's doing great, but a couple weeks later, you notice she's not doing it anymore. Fad diets fail to help people with the long game. It's like training to be a sprinter versus training to be a marathon runner. Weight loss and healthy lifestyles are a marathon. If you sprinted the finish line, you likely won't see the results that you're looking for. Now, these fad diets work to treat the body. They tell you how you can shave inches off your waistline, whatever, but they don't work with your mind. They don't help you deal with your relationship with food or what the root cause of your health problems may be, and that's where the failure is. Obesity and overweight, it's not just for people who can't put down the chips. It's so much more than that, and that's what we're going to talk about with Dr. Omatade in today's conversation. She treats both the mind and body when she works with people. Now, before we dive into this conversation, that I think is a really 
great topic today. I'd like to ask you to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're listening on right now. That way you'll be notified for all the new episodes that come out down the line. I'd also love it if you would rate and review the show so the podcast powers that be know how we're doing. And you can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. I try to put some inspirational content on there, uh, but also that's the best place to reach me too. So you can shoot me a DM on Instagram if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests. I am all ears. Be More Well is kind of a project that I selfishly started for myself, but I would love to bring on guests for topics that you want to learn more about. So please feel free to hit me up again on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. And here's my conversation with Dr. Omatade. Hello. How are you doing? I am well. How are you? I am doing great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure you're a busy lady, so I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to uh, to chat with me. No problem. I enjoy this. This is what I love to do. <laughs> All so right, good. I'm glad to share it. Well, I'm glad we can dive into this because I was over on the website for the practice you work with, Art of Balance Wellness Spa. And one of the things that I noticed right away is that it said that you like to look at the whole person and integrate mind and body together. So Tell me why you like to work on the two of those things at the same time. So just a little bit, I think a little bit about my background would help. So I trained as both um, a psychiatrist and an internal medicine doctor, right? So I do both the mind and the body. And, And part of why I did that was because I recognized that you can't have one without the other, right? Like it's, they're not two separate parts of you. It's one whole. That's what I did my training in with the idea that you have to address both. You can't address the mind and sort of ignore the body. You can't ignore the body and just address the mind. So it has to work together. My whole career, that's what I've been interested in, in this mind-body togetherness. Um, and I think the way we separate them, it's not, it's a false separation. They really are sort of one whole person. And so that's been that's been my focus. It is interesting, though, how people seem to take one or the other. They don't always look at the two as a combat. And I'm guilty of that, too. I mean, you you look at you look in the mirror and you think, oh, my body may need some changing. But you don't think about the mindset that you're in that's going to lead to that. It's just it's just, oh, I want to make a change in one place or the other. The mind is powerful, right? We know everything we do really starts up here. It starts with the mind. And so we forget that, you know, we forget that the things that we do and the, the things that our body does really starts all up in the mind and in the brain. And if we're ignoring it, then we can't really be addressing the whole picture. Um, and so that's where what I do and my interest really, I think, plays well to be able to combine both the mind piece as well as the mind, the, the body part. We're, we're having this conversation here towards the end of January. And I know a lot of people start the new year off with resolutions. They have these grand goals of trying to make things happen. And I guess some people would think, okay, well, this is my mind. I'm, I'm taking control of my mind. I'm saying, I'm going to make this change. But it kind of ends there with the mind. And then it's just like, okay, well, where are my results? You know, it's like step one to step three, but everybody kind of forgets step two in that way. It's interesting you, you mentioned that because... One of the challenges, and I know we're going to sort of talk about weight and sort yeah. of obesity. And I think um, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the challenges is that we falsely, we've always thought in the past that if somebody just put their mind to it, right, if they had enough willpower, they can stop and they can, you know, they can stop eating, they can lose weight. But w- what we found and what research has found is that it's not as simple as that. <laughs> it's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of, okay, you just think it and then you do it. This is one of those places where the mind and the body really are working together. And if you're not addressing both, then you're not going to be able to succeed. And so there's so much, it's so much more complex than simply, you know, willpower. 
Because if it was willpower, everyone knows how to lose weight. Right. <laughs> so we will all like have been successful the first time around. We wouldn't be trying, you know, every single year to lose weight. But it's 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 because there's so much more to it than just the idea of willpower. I know you you do a lot in your work, but I do want to focus on that weight thing because I think that's a big place, especially this time of year, that that people, you know, it's on the top of their mind. Um, but not everybody hits the goals they want to hit. And, and there's more to it than just, oh, I'm, I'm going to give up today and I'm going to start cheating. There's a whole thing, like you just said, that goes into it on many different levels. And I know this time of year in particular, we hear a lot more about fad diets. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about fad diets, where this, I don't know if there really is a history that we can track down on this, but just where this idea of like, I have to do the hottest new diet every year comes from. So fad diets have been around a really long time. Sure. So even in, you know, if you think about like the 1800s, people were doing fad diets. So this is not a new phenomenon. Um, and part of why people have been doing them is because they're, we're looking for a quick way to achieve a goal, right? So, you know, weight loss and weight maintenance, it's a long-term goal and it requires a long-term solution. Fad diets provide a short-term solution. And so we sort of like, oh, if I do this for this period of time, I can lose weight. So that may be the case, but it's not simply losing weight. It's also maintaining weight loss. That's the harder part. So those fat diets, you know, I will say those fat diets, some of them do work to help you lose weight for a short period of time, but then you regain it. Do you think that part of the reason people jump to them too is a lot of people will say they're checklist people. They like to check things off a checklist and a fad diet kind of gives you a checklist and then every day you can go down that checklist, but there's a limit to it too. You know what I mean? A fad diet will be a 28 day, whatever, or a 30 day, you know, so there comes an end to that checklist and then it's like, well, wait, wait, I'm not checking anything else off. <laughs> exactly. Right. So you have, you know, a diet will say you do this, for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, this is what you do every day. And you can do that for a period of time and you can be successful for the period of time. But sustained weight loss and sustained weight maintenance actually requires much more work beyond you know, two weeks or 28 days. So the question for the fat diet is, you can do it for 28 days, can you do it for two years? Right, yeah. And there's also, I know with some fad diets, they're not, healthy for everyone. You know, there are certain things that go into them uh, or go into the process of losing weight that may have a bad interaction with your body afterwards too. I know I've, I did one a, a few years ago that I, I won't name, but afterwards I found that I, I felt very off and it took me a while to get back into sort of a normal rhythm and to feel like myself again. I thought, well, I'm lighter than I've ever been in my life, you know, in my adult life that I can think of. Uh, why am I feeling bad? And it's like, well, mm -hmm. I think I've totally disrupted the process of my body by following this fad diet. Yes, exactly. Depending on the components and what's required in that fat diet, it can sort of throw you off and it can cause some medical complications, right? So there's some things that can cause some medical problems as a result of the fat diet that you're using. So not all fat. So there are some diets that we know, sort of mainstream diets that we know are helpful. And there's some diets, as, you, as we sort of said, that are the fat diets, which are really don't have a lot of scientific basis behind them, yeah. per se. Um, that people sort of say, oh, I did this and I lost weight, but there's really not a lot of science behind it. And so some of those diets can actually be more harmful in terms of just your overall health. A friend of mine 
kind of boomerangs on the whole 30 and she uses the whole 30 as sort of like, Oh, I've put on some weight. I'll do the whole 30. And then 30 days later, she's not on it anymore. And then, you know, three or four months later, it's, Oh, I'm going to go back on the whole 30. And I always think like, that's not really the point. <laughs> like, the point is to kind of learn what you maybe should be eating. That's a little bit better for you or what, you know, reacts poorly to your body over time, you know, not, just use it as a way to lose 10 pounds, then just completely go back to the way you were. And, and what's even harder about that is that what we find is that the more times we do that, the harder it is for us to actually sustain weight loss. Sure. So we're actually doing some, in some ways, this yo-yo dieting, when we sort of use it, we stop, we regain weight, we, we, we get on a diet again. We actually do ourselves a disservice later on because the more attempts that you make, in terms of weight loss, the harder it is to sort of actually have long-term weight loss. And so I think the average person um, attempts maybe twice a year, yeah, at least twice a year. So imagine in a, in a lifetime, how many diets people are actually on over the course of their lifetime. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I would imagine mentally too, the more you start to feel like you've failed at a diet, the harder it is for you to even imagine losing that weight. You know, you'll think, you know, I'm going to jump on that, but you know what? It didn't work last time. I'm just, yeah, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Exactly. We, we get discouraged. We feel like I failed. I've tried. I failed. What's the point? Yeah. Right. And so then that makes, and then, and then that gets into your psyche. That gets into your cognitive thoughts. So even when you're doing another diet, part of you is still thinking, you know what, I know I did a diet last year and it failed. And so part of you is waiting to fail. It's expecting to fail because of how many times you've sort of done this and you feel like I haven't been successful at this. So, you know, it really, it does damage to us, not only sort of physically, but also mentally, this yo-yo dieting that we've been doing. It's so sad to think, and I've done it, you know, I'm guilty, but it's so sad to think that there are moments where we are expecting to fail. You know, like our, our, our mindset is already there that we know we're going to fail at whatever it may be. It's sad that our brains can get to that point, you know? Yes. You think about the people like in January, that first new year when they're like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> and then a week later, it stopped. <laughs> yep. There's no much, there's not much more effort. And part of what, part of what happens or part of what we have to accept is that when you're trying to make a change, right? So weight loss is a change that you're trying to make. It's a lifestyle change that you that needs to be that needs to happen over time. If you have a setback, so if one day you sort of did something that you wouldn't normally do, what sometimes happens is when you are expecting failure, you take that one day of this is a bad day, and it's like, oh well, there we go. I failed again. Instead of saying, you know what, it was just one day. I had a setback for this one day, but I'm going to continue because I know I can be successful. And so even something just as basic as that really impacts our ability to continue on in our journey for weight loss. I've heard other people talk about that because we will talk about a cheat day or or something on those lines. And then you think, well, I cheated, so I might as well wait until Monday and then I'll start all over again. You know, and, and it's such a bad mental state to put yourself in because you're 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 kind of giving in, you know, you're already saying like, ah, all right, I'll wait. And we'll just buy some cheeseburgers this weekend and it'll be fine. No, it's, it's better to look at, like you just said, to look at it as a setback or, you know, all right, I made a mistake. No big deal. We're fine. Tomorrow we're right back on the bandwagon. Or even worse, when you make that mistake for that day, 
let me just binge. Hey, I already, you know, cheated for today. So let me just continue on. And then you feel bad afterwards. You're like, I just ate a lot of food that I really didn't want to eat. And I didn't <laughs> know it's not good for me. Here's my uh, here's my admission uh, for you. I am the person that will decide I want to just start. I don't really do fad diets, but I do try to eat healthier and, and do a better lifestyle as a whole. But I always think of the fact that I have to clean out the fridge of all the bad things that are there. So I think, well, I'll just eat it all and then we'll start fresh, which is a terrible way to do it. But that's the way that, like, well, if it's not in the house, then I can't eat it. So let's just get it all out. <laughs> so it's it's so funny you mentioned that. I had a patient um, who it took about over a week, to, to, or I think a week or two weeks to get her to sort of say she had, I think, what does she have in the house? She had maybe like chips or something like that. Um, and so she was like, well, the bag, it's, it's, it's still there. Like, it's not, I don't want to waste food. And it's like, wait, <laughs> but we're trying to do something new. Like, <laughs> is it going to just sit there? Like, what's the price for this bag? <laughs> it's like, you know, like, are you, are we, are we in such financial straits that we're afraid to like toss out a bag of half eaten chips? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, clearly it was more to it than simply not wanting to throw out chips. It really was like, this is the comfort food. This is what, you know, she felt comfortable with and throwing that food out was acknowledging that that's, we're not, that's not what we're going to be doing anymore. So it took like, over a week, but we got there. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you made it there because that goes to the the idea of relationship with food. And so many of us don't have a good relationship with food. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that, about this idea of a relationship with food. Yes, thank you. Most people don't gain weight just because someone's sitting there sort of putting food in their mouth, right? Like we're not like being force fed. So we're eating for a reason and for a purpose. Most of the time we start off eating because you know we need the nutrients, you know, and then there's also the pleasure of eating. But what starts to happen and when people start to struggle with their weight is things trigger something, right? Or either emotional reaction. So something happens. So either they've noticed that I have, I don't have control in other parts of my life. And so food is something I can control. And so it becomes that relationship of control. It can also be, I feel bad. I've had a horrible day. You know, something happened with my spouse, something happened at work. When I eat this, I feel better. Or it could be, I feel great. I had a great day. Let me reward myself. Right? So, so emotions get tied to our to what we do with food and our perception of food. So we start using food as a substitute for other things. So it's no longer just a matter of eating because you know I'm hungry and eating because I need the nutrients. It also becomes eating because this brings me comfort. It becomes eating because I don't have I don't have other things in my life and this helps to fill that hole. And so we develop these really unhealthy relationships with food as a result. And we don't recognize it. So even though we may, you know, we may go on this fat diet or really quick diet, that hasn't changed that relationship with food. And so once we're off of that seven day or 30 day diet, our relationship with food is still there. Mm. So that still remains the place we turn for comfort. 
And so right after we're done with that diet, we go right back to that same patterns because that's a state, that's a relationship that we've established that we haven't changed yet. It's interesting that you say, you know, that, that there's a relationship there and that we go back to those same patterns. I know about, uh, about a year and a half to two years ago, I started being much more conscious of the types of food that I ate. So I'm talking about, you know, gluten consumption or dairy or, and, and I, I cut a lot of it out and I realized I felt completely different. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, maybe some of that was really having a negative impact on my body. I got tested. So I knew I wasn't, you know, I wasn't lactose intolerant or gluten sensitive, but for whatever reason, some of these foods were still making me feel really bad, but I would still go back to it. You know, even mm-hmm. though I knew that I felt better without it, there was still, ah, oh, but I really want that pizza. You know, and so I'd still go. And then afterwards, I'd feel terrible. And I would think to myself, well, that was stupid. But it didn't stop me from doing it again. You know, there there, there really is sometimes a mental thing that, you know, keeps you, keeps you doing what you shouldn't be doing or keeps you from doing the right thing. Yes, exactly. I think one of the things that happens is, you know, if you think about when you're young, right, you eat whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> and it's great. You know, if you don't, I mean, you never thought about diet, right, right. when you were young never even an issue um and at some point our body changes and so the things that we were eating before that we could get away with without it impacting our lives we're no longer able to do but we don't realize that (laughs) we continue eating the way we were before and then get surprised that oh (laughs) i'm gaining weight (laughs) So our bodies have changed. And so that means our mindset has to also change. And our relationship with food also has to change as a result because our bodies are changing. What I was eating when I was um, in college, at some point I was like, you know, this is not going to work anymore. <laughs> Doing, I used to do, um, I used to eat like ice cream, like, like at dinner yeah. time, I, um, every day. I loved ice cream. That was what I ate before bedtime. That was my bedtime snack was ice cream <laughs> and it worked I was fine and then at some point it was like you know what I don't think I can continue this this is probably not a good daily habit to have <laughs> so so I had to I had to fill that space with something else um and so now I do tea instead okay but, but it was but it was that ritual that was important to me it's more so than the actual food so once I realized I was like okay maybe not ice cream but maybe I can do tea before bedtime. And that still feels that same need that I had, you know, before bedtime. And there's also food, you know, aside from the rituals, there's also food that has an impact on say your brain or the chemicals and the way that things function too. And, and that makes it more difficult to get off of that too. I know for me, when I decided to quit dairy, I was a miserable person for a few days. Like I had a really, like the cravings came in so hard. It was, it was almost like, and I would never compare this to somebody with a drug addiction, but it was almost like going through some kind of withdrawal. And I was like, I, I wanted to kill everybody around me. I just was like, what do I have to do for a piece of cheese? Uh, and, but then you know, after a few days, it, it became easier, but I was not expecting that kind of result. When I, when I, I'm like, it's a food. It's just a food. Why is it doing this to me? If you think about an addiction, right? When we talk about addiction and food addiction, the idea of addiction is that there's whatever it is that you're addicted to, it sort of changes the chemist the chemistry in your brain. So your your brain gets rewarded by that drug or that food or whatever, whatever it is. So it's the no matter what the substance is, it's still ultimately the same idea of your brain being sort of being 
flooded with reward signals when you eat it. So whether it's food or whether it's a drug or alcohol. So it's the same sort of addiction is addiction in a sense, because the same chemical pathway. So there are people clearly who sort of struggle when they try to stop eating a certain food because they've become chemically dependent yeah. on it. In a so we've been talking a lot about the reactions that food can have with your brain and why it's a mental thing, not just a not just a body thing. You have to look at both of them in the same way. What are some tips or, or some advice you have for someone that's trying to make that change? It's trying to shift into a better mindset. With so I think one of the first things is just in terms of education. Sure. Obesity is a disease. And for the longest period of time, you know, we thought it wasn't right. You know, people just thought if you just stop eating, you'd be fine. But really, we're learning that it's a disease and it's a chronic disease. So the picture isn't just short term. It's a long term picture. So what I tell people is whenever you're choosing a diet, whenever you're looking to make a lifestyle change, think not what can I just do for two weeks or for 30 days, but what can I do for two years? Mm. Right. That's where you that's where it needs to start. It needs to start at two or three years, yeah. what am I going to do? So you can do any diet for, you know, 20 days or whatever amount of days, but can you do it for two years? And so that's, I think it's the mind, it's that first mindset to sort of recognize it's a long game. It is not a short game. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Yeah. And so you have to, you train differently. So when you're in it for a sprint, you train differently than when you're training for a marathon. And so if you're training for a sprint and then end up in a marathon, it's not gonna work very well. <laughs> so I think that's the first part is to recognize that this is a long game. It's a long picture. You can't just look at the you know three months or even 30 days. You really have to look at, you have to look in terms of years. And that's kind that's of the opposite I, of what we're always told, like on commercials and everything, it's always lose 15 pounds in the first 30 or whatever it is. They're always giving you this big goal. So it, it's kind of beat into our minds nonstop that you can have these instant results, but, but it isn't an instant thing. It, it's a, it's a journey. It, like you said, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but we're just, we're so not taught that, you know? And that's why so many, I think about 90% of people regain yeah. weight in within about five, within about, I think three years, most people regain that weight. That's because there's so much focus on that short-term weight loss and it's good, right? You feel great. Like I lost this weight. It's great. But how do you keep it off? And that's where those programs don't really talk about the maintenance part of it, because it's a lot harder. It's a, it's a lot harder to keep it off. It's much easier to lose the weight in that, you know, 30 days. It's a lot harder to maintain that weight loss in two years and three years. And so that's why I, I typically start with the idea of just changing the mindset that this is not, you know, just a 30 day thing. I can help you lose weight in 30 days. That's great. <laughs> but I would also like when I see you in two years that you haven't regained all the weight. That's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for yeah. is to sort of, change not just this 30 days, but really keep that change going for the next several years. I think something else, too, that people don't necessarily think about is there's no one size fits all, if you will, of a body type. You know, I think back to when I lost a lot of weight a few years ago, I got down to the, like I said, the lightest that I had been in my adult life 
but I was still heavier than what my typical age and height is supposed to be. But I felt awful. I felt emaciated. I felt I, I didn't feel like I was consuming enough food. I just was tired and miserable all the time. And I'm thinking, well, I'm still not even at the weight that they say that I should be at. So, you know, you have to kind of shift the mental perception of what your body should be as well, because every body is going to be a little bit different. Exactly. We know that your body size and what your body weight is really part set by genetics, right? So genetically, you're going to be a certain height, you're going to be a certain body type, and also not just genetics, but also the environment that you grew up with, right? So if you had more nutritious food when you're growing up versus, you know, less nutritious food, it's going to also impact the body type you end up with. So you're, you have that body type. What's important is when we're talking about trying to lose weight, the overall aim is for better health, right? That's the aim, right? It's not, you know, just lose weight, just to lose weight. It's lose weight because losing weight and having a healthy weight is actually better for you in terms of your overall health, mortality, risk of, you know, secondary consequences and complications. Just life is a whole lot easier when you don't have excess weight at sure. times, um, sort of physically as well as mentally. And so recognizing that you are not the person next to you, right? That person has different genetics. That person has different environment. So myself and someone sitting next to me, we could be eating the same exact food and we can have the same exercise sort of exercise regimen, but our weight gain may be different. And that's genetics. That's the genetics part. You can't really change that. So you can't compare yourself to someone else because you have different genes and you have a different environment. So it's important to sort of focus on what feels good for your body. As you said, there are people who lose weight and like feel like I've lost too much weight. This does not feel comfortable for me. Kind of following up with what you said too. Yes, there are things in life that are easier and better if you lose weight. You'll likely be healthier if you don't have all the excess weight, but there's also a lot more going on inside of you. Even some of the skinniest, you know, healthiest looking people are not healthy all the time yeah. on the ends. Like there's so much going on with the body that just the weight aspect, just the physical appearance is not necessarily the end all be all. Correct. And so this is where we talk about the idea of really looking at weight stigma and sort of the weight discrimination, right? Because not looking at people and judging people because of how they look or what they weight, you know, what their weight is. Because as you said, there are people who are overweight or and are perfectly healthy. And I and I know many people who are skinny <laughs> and are perfectly unhealthy. So that in itself doesn't doesn't speak to whether someone is healthy or not. But we do know that at, after a certain weight, right, it becomes unhealthy, right? Sure. So once you start having those complications, once you start having high blood pressure and when you start having diabetes, we know that it increases your risk of complications later in life. But I do think it's important that we accept who we are as a psychiatrist. Anytime we talk about change and wanting to make change, we need to recognize that there needs to be an acceptance, right? You have to accept where you are and then accept that now that I'm accepting who I am, I also accept that I may need to make change. Mm. So I always say, wherever you are, that's you and that's great. And if you're happy and you're healthy, that's great. And if you want to make changes, that's also great. 
right? You can be, you can accept who you are and still recognize that you have things to work on. I have started to notice there's been a movement I see on social media, the body positivity movement. And Mm -hmm. you see a lot of people talking about how comfortable they are with their body image. And that's awesome. But there are some people that I see that are, are maybe much larger. And I think I'm so glad that you are comfortable with who you are. And I think it's amazing that mentally you are not letting the haters get at you and bring you down. But there may still be, like you were just saying, there may still be a change that can help you. You know, there may still be a change that you want to make to be, to live the healthiest life that you can live. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, we all want to be healthy, right? No one says, I want to be 60 and, you know, have diabetes and have, you know, cholesterol problems. No one says that, right? That is not our vision of what, you know, growing older is. But what we, what we don't often think about is, that consequence of being 65 or 70 and having diabetes and hypertension, that's a result of things we do now. And so we don't, you know, we don't connect it. It's a, it's a really long picture. It's a long game, but if we're trying to be healthy at 65 and 70, that means we've got to start decades earlier in order to achieve that goal. That's so true. My, uh, my wife just gave birth to our first child, our daughter, uh, Thank you. Uh, back in December, so not too long ago, and I remember, you know, I've I've been on this sort of health journey the last couple of years, just trying to figure out the best way it's going to work for me and how how to control my own health. But seeing that little girl, I just was like, wow, I need to make sure that I stay on this. Like I I would I would joke before because I'm turning forty here soon. I, I would joke I didn't want to be the sixty year old moving his kid into college. So if we were going to have a kid, we had to have a kid pretty soon because I don't want to be that guy. But now I don't want to be. The, the guy who's 60 years old and can barely, you know, go to his kid's, you know, soccer game or whatever. Like, I want to be healthy enough to play in those daddy-daughter games or go to those different things. And, and it really, it was a moment that I needed to really snap me back on track of things. And, and, you know, not everybody has those moments and I hope that everybody does. Like, I hope they all have the, the sort of come to Jesus moment, if you will, where they realize, wow, I really need to, to do this. But there are some people that maybe don't see that. So what is a sign that someone should be looking for that maybe says, Hey, I need to get the help that I need to get myself on track. So I think if you find that you are if you find that you're one of those people who do the, you know, try a couple of diets a year, right? So not, and because you want to lose a few pounds or there's a, some sort of event that you want to go to and you want to look a certain way, which we know happens. um, When you find yourself doing that repeatedly, I think that's a time to sort of think about getting sort of more professional help because we know that the, the more you do that, the harder it becomes. Yeah. Right. So I think when you find yourself doing that, that's a sign. I think another sign is if you start to develop really unhealthy habits with food, right? So if you start, you know, the binging, if you start substituting food for, you know, other things in life, that's a sign that probably a good time to get help. And I also think once you start, like, and any primary care doctor will probably tell you, once you start developing, like the hypertension and the diabetes and any of those secondary complications, we know that losing weight will help those conditions. 
those are also times that I think it's helpful to get professional help. Dr. Omatade, when you talk about professional help, people can speak with someone like a psychiatrist, but what about medications? I, I see a lot of these out there, but personally, I'm a little hesitant. Can you talk more about medications when it comes to weight loss and, and maybe when they could be a good thing for someone? Part of why I think medications come into play you know how when people lose weight, they lose weight really fast and then they sort of reach that plateau yeah. and then they start regaining the weight. It's like, yeah, it's like the jumping oh. off point. It's like I hit the plateau and now I give up. Like I'm going to put the weight back on. Yeah. <laughs> and we go back up again. So part of why I think medications are helpful is because what we're finding is that plateau is reached. Not necessarily because people stop like, you know, doing the things that they were doing before. It's, it's reached because as you're losing weight, your body is countering that. So physiologically, there's, there's, there's adaptations that your body makes to sort of counter the weight because your body is sort of trying to keep an equilibrium. It's trying to stay in a steady state. So as you're trying to lose weight, your body's like, oh, wait, no, we've got to like bounce back. And so your body puts together, puts out hormones and peptides and tells you you're hungry. You need to eat. You've got to do these things. And so as you're losing weight, you actually start becoming more hungry because your body is sort of trying to counter that weight loss. And so the medications can actually be very helpful in that process because some of these medications help suppress that appetite. So they sort of help suppress that adaptive response that the body is making, which makes it easier to sort of continue that weight loss journey. So I think that's the one point I just wanted to make is that there is a role for medications for some people, not everyone's appropriate, but there is a role for medications in that weight loss journey. And talking to a doctor like yourself would be a great place to start to find out if you're the right person for that kind of thing. Yes. It does seem kind of counterintuitive that even if you are overweight, that your body would still say, hey, wait a minute, I, you need to eat more food. Let's stay where we're at. We like where we're at. You'd think your body would want you to lose the weight because it would say, hey, we're not doing so great. We could operate a lot better if we had less. Nope. Your body's like, we're good. This is where we are. This is our, this is our new normal. You're trying to starve us. <laughs> so it's trying to get back to the normal. And yeah, it's impressive how well the body does this. That's, I mean, that is why, that is part of why so many people find it easier to regain weight than they did to lose the weight. Yeah. Well, Dr. Omatade, you are in the Baltimore area at the Art of Balance Wellness Spa. You want to talk a little bit about the offerings that you have over there? The Art of Balance Wellness Spa is a wellness spa, but it's a luxury spa that's focused on three main areas. So we have traditional spa, so that's like your facials, hydrofacials, massages, body polishes. We also have aesthetics, which is lasers, laser liposuction, things like um, laser treatment for hair removal. And then lastly is our wellness. And so wellness is where we do the weight management. So that's part of our wellness. So we have acupuncture, we have high dehydration, all part of our wellness. And the idea is really to be able to offer all of the services in one setting, because we think they're all tied, right? So we think wellness is tied to sort of aesthetics so you know how you look and how you feel is also tied to the traditional spine relaxation so we think all of those services complement each other and that's why we decided to create this space to be able to offer those services to our clients and where can people go if they want to find out some more information or maybe reach out to you to uh to maybe learn how they can get some help Sure. So our website is www.artofbalancespa.com our phone number is 443-424-4080. Four, four, 
So let me make sure I told you right, 443-424-4080. And I can be reached there as well. So before I let you go, I just have to ask you, because I meant to ask this earlier when we were talking about fad diets, but I know there's kind of a new trend every year. What is the one that you're hearing a lot about this year? So I think the keto diet is still pretty popular. Yeah. Um, and part of it, so we do what we call the modified keto here. We do meal replacements and we do a modified keto. And the modification that we make is that we actually have a lot higher protein content okay. because as I said, all diets work or for the short term, right? So all sort of, you know, scientific um, um, diets work for the short term. So we have the modified keto. And I think part of why that remains really popular is one, there's results. Yeah. Um, and, pe- and as you've noticed, people have connected the, the carbohydrates when, you know, when people are eating bread and things like that, they sort of notice a difference in their bodies when they, um, when they eat those, those nutrients. So I think that's part of why the keto diet has remained very popular. And for, ours, um, for us, we do the modified because we think the higher protein content is actually much more helpful. Well, yes. Dr. Omotade, this has been such an interesting conversation, and I hope that people listening will will really take some of it into their daily lives because it really, like you said, like you said at the very beginning, it's a combination of mind and body. If your mind isn't right, your body's not going to be right. You've got to do both together to get the results that you want. And I think that this conversation has really opened my eyes to a lot of things that maybe I didn't see before. So hopefully others are getting the same experience. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you and sort of sharing my knowledge and my experience in this field. Big thank you to Dr. Omatade from the Art of Balance Wellness Spa, and thanks to all of you for listening. I I so appreciate that you decided to share some of your day with me on Be More Well. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the show and please leave a review and rating. Until next week, I'm Jeff St. Pierre. Take care.